Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. It violates the principle of regularity. That just begs the question whether the principle of regularity means anything. They're highly unlikely because they violate, they violate established laws of sense experience. So the first two I've talked about, that's what he's talking about. He's using Hume. His third one, he says, here's the, supposedly the criticism which destroys belief in miracles in general. They're inconsistent with science. How? Science is talking about natural events that we can see and verify with our senses. How is it inconsistent with science to say that that's only what we can see and verify? Why, why can't there be something we can't see and can't verify with science? when in fact most of the world believes in the spiritual realm, why should we accept a few scientists who say that they must be deluded? Miracles are not inconsistent with science. They're not talking about natural events. They're talking about spiritual, supernatural events. That's why they're science thinks they're inconsistent because they, science seems to think that everything has to be scientific. God wouldn't perform miracles because that would be, well, I'll give you the famous version, there'd be no place to stop. Like if God cured you of some disease, why not me and why not everybody? That's used by theologians, Christian theologians, and um, suffering people want to know why God doesn't intervene, why God doesn't perform miracles more often, why doesn't God prevent holocausts? There are good reasons why God doesn't intervene and cure everybody. And, but to say that God would never intervene, that's, how do you know that? Doesn't that go against the testimony of people who've experienced miracles? Doesn't that go against the Bible? Doesn't that go against, that have all of these miracles, you know, that, that, that believed in and other religions as well? I don't think science, this is not a, a criticism that impresses me to simply say that, that if you people believe in God, science would say, um, God wouldn't intervene. That would be like an ad hoc thing. It would be like saying, I made a mistake creating, and now I've got to intervene now and then to make it right. Um, this is just silly stuff. If God created the world, God can intervene anytime God wants, because God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-just. Like, God knows what God's doing if God exists. God knows what God, God is doing. And at our level, not understanding it is not an argument against it. Belief in miracles is just some pre-scientific ignorance. What a put-down eh, of religious people. If you believe in miracles, it's because, well, science hadn't yet arrived on the scene to show you that there's an explanation for these things. Well, in some cases, that may be true. It's not Jupiter throwing thunderbolts down from the sky, and it's not Apollo pushing his chariot across the sky so the sun moves. Yeah, we've made some serious mistakes in Greek mythology and Roman mythology about miracles. But to say that all miracles are simply pre-scientific ignorance is just another way of saying science is the only truth in the universe 
and, and you better wait and look for a scientific explanation. Now, if miracles are caused by God in a supernatural way, how can science ever find that? And why does science think, if it rules out God, that it can even examine the evidence? It just automatically rejects. It's the same point over and over again. Science is the only adjudicator of miracles. That's its bias. That's its presupposition. And based on that, that reduces us to just... This, by the way, comes from David Hume, just saying people who report miracles must be ignorant, pre-scientific idiots, liars, embellishers. Nice stuff. Jesus, Mohammed, uh, Buddha, all the great people that ever lived are just egomaniac, egomanic liars and idiots because they weren't scientific. This is un- incredible stuff. This is why I don't find science funny anymore. Um, in, its, in, its, in its attack on religion, especially with respect to miracles, and which is the basis of most of it. People, his second one is people believe because they don't know the scientific explanations. How do you know that everything is scientific? Like, if you don't even look at the evidence. A rational person who has no religious belief at all could still look at the evidence, let's say for Jesus' resurrection. Just look at it rationally and ask yourself, as a philosophy or a scientist, without a bias that it can't happen. Look at the thing rationally. Look at all the arguments for it and look at the arguments against it. That's all we ask. Instead of just saying that we're a bunch of ignorant fools because we believe in miracles and science is going to set us straight with its method, the five senses, basically, and human reason, which is basically a piddly little thing, a bunch of neurons, you know, just just agitating the thing we call the brain, and this is supposed to give us a truth about reality. Seriously, I have to be kidding. But we are that ignorant to think that our minds can disclose truth. It's no wonder postmodernism is saying we're a bunch of idiots, we're a bunch of fools, our minds useless, because we have so exaggerated the power of reason as the only source of truth in town that the postmodernists, rightly, I think, just, just got so sick of that. Now they challenge the whole, the whole theory of truth, the whole meaning of truth, saying you people are just nothing but chemicals and physics. How can you claim to have any truth about anything? The Christian and the Muslim answer would be, we can claim truth because we believe in a God that's beyond all of this, that, that tells us what it is. It's not just our neural agitations in the brain, but science can't claim that. Science says, if we can't explain some difficult, vague miracle right now scientifically, just give us some time. If I've heard that once, I've heard it so many times, I'm ready to explode the next time I hear it. Science eventually will be able to explain all things naturalistically, is their mantra. Over and over and over, every debate between a theist and an atheist, it always reduces to, okay, you got me there. I don't understand, I can't defend that this didn't happen, but give me some time, says the scientist, and I'll have a good reason why it didn't happen. If you're a skeptic, and, and Jesus walks on water, and Jesus is, uh, changes the water into wine, what would you say naturalistically to explain this if you have this bias against miracles? What would be your naturalistic explanation? Just assume it happened. Just rationally, how can you explain? Did Jesus pick up a 200-pound you know, keg of wine and sneak it in the back door? Was it some kind of a conspiracy? Like, it's almost funny when you see naturalists trying to explain miracles naturalistically. It's a lot easier. Just, just The miracle is really the naturalistic explanation. It, it, it just couldn't happen. 
But they tell you, my point would be, when you read Karm, looking at all these uh, alleged naturalistic explanations to explain miracles so that they're not really miracles, they're just some kind of trick, like Jesus was some kind of magician in most of these things. The real point behind all of that is, is, that, is that naturalism um, naturalism is saying that give us enough time and we'll explain it. And I find that, you know what that is? That's faith. That's not science. Nobody knows whether given enough time you can explain it. They say the same thing about creation for the cosmological argument. Give us enough time and we'll tell you how the world began without a God. We can't do it now, but give us enough time. How much time do you need? Like an infinity? And, 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 and why should we have faith that you can eventually figure it out with your miserable little reason? Like, what is this? This is neural agitation. We're going to figure out how the universe was created rationally? You've got to be kidding. That's, that's the religious. But the naturalists assure us it couldn't be a miracle. See, that's for a Christian and a Muslim. That's the major miracle. Creation. We're here. We exist. There must be a God that did it. Couldn't be just anything. Nothing else works. And yet the naturalists say, give us enough time. I'm going to show a movie or a little, little debate between an atheist and a theist next term in the atheism class, and that's exactly what the chemist says. His conclusion is, yes, I haven't proved my points. Yes, there's lots of things science can't prove, but give me enough time, and I'm sure we'll have a naturalistic explanation for everything. That doesn't even make sense philosophically, let alone scientifically. You can't have a naturalistic explanation for creation. You can't have something that exists creating itself before it existed. You can't have a natural principle creating a natural world. It doesn't make sense. That's the strength of the cosmological argument. That's why that one's so important, uh, that it, there has to be something that's not natural, that's not physical, that's not ref confined to this limiting, powerless creature that we see. Like, it, it just can't create itself. Even the word create itself is, you know, contradicts itself. Nothing can create itself. But they keep saying they're going to find the reason. They're going to find the theory of everything, and all that's going to, all that's going to do is my response will be, well, who created the theory? And why not another theory? Like, it still doesn't answer the question. It just postpones it. So on and on they go. Uh, this, one, this one's serious, though. Here's another one. If you allow for miracles, doesn't that destroy science? Because here you have science saying, our job is to show you what people experience, what the scientific laws are. This is the, the way the universe works. And then we have these Christians and Muslims and other people saying, well, something violated those laws. The laws must have been suspended because um, does that destroy science is the question. Like, Quite frankly, if that destroys science, it might just as well fold up now because quantum physics goes against everything. So, I mean, on and on and on. I, I, just before this class started, I think I mentioned it, there was an article published in Science Magazine or Nature Magazine, I can't remember which one, one of the major ones, listing the 100 things that science still can't understand. There's all kinds of things that science doesn't understand. That doesn't destroy science. Weird things go on at the quantum level. Weird things go on in evolution that science does not understand. But that doesn't, that doesn't destroy science. Science has this attitude that it's infallible. That's why we call it scientism. That it has the whole truth. And, and it can't allow anything 
to go against what it considers its natural laws that it understands and the experience that it uses to see these laws and understand them. It can't allow for anything. And now we have this sixth criticism saying, if you allow for a miracle, it destroys science as an enterprise. No, it doesn't. It just shows you that science better be a little more humble, that science can understand everything there is to know. And maybe if something goes against a scientific law, a little humility instead of all this prideful nonsense might come into place. And say, I'd like to hear a scientist just say once there's something I can't understand without the rest of the sentence. There's something I can't understand, but give me enough time and I'll, and I'll tell you the answer. There's some things they can't understand because they don't discuss and they don't examine the spiritual realm. They only look at what's physical. That's a very limited perspective for Pete's sake. So it doesn't destroy science. It should humble science as a good response. And maybe they should realize there's something more to life than scientific facts, which is obvious to most of us. Anyway, you could say, by the way, hey, belief in miracles is not important anyway. Who cares whether they happened or not? Well, that's most Christians these days, unfortunately. Um, the simple answer is, for Christianity, miracles, speaking for them just alone, they are essential. They have to be justified, or the thing will collapse into this liberal stuff where you have faith in your experiences rather than faith in something that's true. Pitiful. So th the answer to that is belief in miracles have to be defended. Uh, they are important, at least for Christianity they are. Then the miracle stories, another criticism, maybe in the Bible where the miracles occurred so much, maybe they're just added on, they're myths. They're myths. Yeah, well, it's possible. Uh, we're going to see very soon that it, it, it's possible, but it's very unlikely if you study these things. It's easy to say that. It's myth. That's what the liberals say. If you don't like miracles, you have to have a reason to reject them. So we say it's myth. To say that miracles, like let's just say that Jesus didn't perform miracles. Just, just say that, because this is the liberal line. Miracles come later. They are added on to make it sound better. We, we, we've, we've studied all of this. I mean, the first thing we know among about 50 points, I'll give you a couple right now, and then we'll do the rest later, or a few of them later. Um, we know now that the texts are early, that they were eyewitness accounts. And it takes about two generations, according to most experts, for myth to be added on. That's what happened in Buddhism. Buddha, Buddha had a life. About 300 years later, we start getting the myths about being born as a white elephant, being, you know, having two mothers. That's not what Buddha said. That's what comes 300 years later. About the year 100, 120, we start getting mythological Christian texts which the church threw out as nonsense. They had time. The eyewitnesses were dead by then, except for John, and Mary was gone, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they were all gone in the 60s before that. Then it's time for myth, embellishment. The church at least knew enough, Christianity knew enough not to accept these things. Now, yeah, I mean, there's a, most books that are being written and the ones that arrive in chapters are based on these texts written it, it, because we found a whole bunch of them in 1945 in Egypt, a whole bunch of Gnostic texts, which were written probably around 200 and that's plenty of time, plenty of time for mythological embellishment and ideology to enter in. The scriptures that we have called the Bible are not like that. They're eyewitness accounts, matter-of-fact accounts, detailed, historical, sociological, geological facts. 
written by, by Dr. Luke, you know, the physician, where, where he cites cities and, 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 and titles, officials that people, and cities that no longer exist, and archaeology's found most of this stuff. And he's writing a factual history as an eyewitness based on, on Paul and Peter, people that he saw. Eyewitnesses are people who knew the eyewitnesses and interviewed them, like, like Luke. Luke and Paul, the, the rest were eyewitnesses. What I'm saying is this whole rot about myth is simply an argument to get rid of uh, the miracles. The texts, the, the weight of evidence shows that the texts are early. Paul, who has more miracles about Christ being raised from the dead, the Son of God, all of that stuff. I mean, he was writing this stuff in 48, 49, and 50. And he says he got it from somebody, and he tells us in one of his letters to the Galatians that he went and visited Peter around 33, 34, and he got this information from Peter. So Paul's letters are filled with these ancient creeds and ancient hymns about Jesus being divine and Jesus rising from the dead. This was written in 48, 49, and 50, 51. There's no time for myth. The eyewitnesses, here's, here's one of the arguments. Not only would the eyewitnesses who believed in, 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 in what we now call the scriptures refute a myth, if, if it was a myth, but the enemies would say this didn't happen. This was being proclaimed in Jerusalem. All you had to do, if, if, if you didn't think Jesus rose from the dead, was go and find the body and parade it through the streets. Like, it's so simple. And, and, and like, if, if Mary wasn't born of a virgin, she was, she was alive. She could be saying, it's a lie. No one refuted it. There's no evidence at all that any of this was refuted. It wasn't some big grand conspiracy theory. I'm sorry to say the enemies of Christianity just love to use this stuff, and uh, we don't have time in this class, but you're going to see some of that in the readings. All of this is a cumulative argument. We're, we're looking at prophecies, we're looking at miracles, and we're looking at the authenticity of the people who wrote the text and how many texts and when they wrote it and, and whether they were reliable, whether they're consistent. All of these things fit into a cumulative argument that the thing is trustworthy. The big argument against all of this is that it was all made up later. And you've got to think seriously about that. You have to do some reading. to. to I mean, it's, it's an easy thing to say. It's a very difficult thing to prove, if, if, if it's even possible, because the evidence is against it being made up later. There's just too much evidence to say that it, it was too early. Um, no Jew in his right mind, let alone Jesus or his disciples, would say, I'm the Son of God, if it wasn't true, for Pete's sake, because that's instant death and blasphemy, and that's, in fact, what he was killed for, blasphemy. He had no political ambitions. He didn't want to take over the country. In fact, he ran away from the people. He avoided the crowds who wanted to make him a political king. That's not what he wanted. He was, he was teaching truth it, it, as he saw it. it it's, it's, the evidence is against these people being, you know, being liars, quite frankly. The myth theory just makes them liars or embellishers, and there's not enough time. Myth takes way too long. By the way, by about 100, when these, when these mythic texts started coming out, though, the texts that the Christians said are garbage, we've got tons of these things that people think are just great. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter. Gospel of Peter, if you compare the Gospel of Peter, written about 120, with the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll see the difference. As C.S. Lewis once said, if you don't know what a myth is, try to, you haven't written one. 
Myths talk about huge snakes devouring people. It talks about, about these heroes visiting kings and being banqueted and, and expressing all kinds of wisdom and doing unbelievably marvelous things. Um, myths, like what the Gospel of Peter does to a very sedate, reduced, quiet account of the resurrection in, in the Scriptures. Um, the disciples come to the tomb, they look in, they see the grave clothes there and the body's not in the clothes, but the clothes still have the same form. The stone's been removed. They thought, never in their mind did they think the thing would be empty. No, there's no conspiracy in, in, in their thought. When you compare that matter-of-fact discussion that was probably written in 60 AD to the one that comes about 60 years later that the church threw out as myth, um, that's why the myth didn't make it into the Bible. That's why the, it, it, we're so confident that what's there is factual. The myths say that when, when they got to the tomb, this is like the Gospel of Peter. Peter didn't write the Gospel. Peter was long dead by then. Somebody else wrote it as a myth. Why? Because they tried to make it Gnostic. They, they had a different message that was anti-Christian. It was a Greek pagan Gnosticism they were trying to introduce, a dualism. That it, it's very difficult to explain what it is, so I, I won't bother, but... In the account of Peter that we found in 1945, I mean, what this thing says is that when they got to the tomb, of course, there were these gigantic angels with their heads in the clouds, and, you know, the stone was just tossed out like a little rubber ball, and then Jesus walked out, you know, his head in the cloud, this monstrous man. It's all nonsense. This is what myth does. And then the cross comes hopping out. And, and the voice comes from heaven saying, you've risen, I see. And the cross says, yes, I have. Like, it's, it's insanity. And like, if you can't tell a myth from, from a factual account, when you look at what's said in the scriptures, it says that Peter looks in, he stooped down. Obviously, the tomb is one you had to crawl into. He stooped down. There's all this meaningless factual information, except we found tombs from the first century in Jerusalem, and you do have to stoop down to look into the things. And we did find a crucified man in 1988 in Jerusalem, and the story is exactly the same as the, like it's exactly the way it happened. The nails were right. The, it, like it's, it's all of this stuff. The evidence is just all there. And yet we're so in Christianity and the liberalism and in enemies of Christianity, the skeptics everywhere, it's, it's just a, an attempt to say it's all embellished later when all the facts say what came later the church threw out as myth. They didn't want them. Now we have all these poor Gnostics saying, gee, we got persecuted, we got thrown out. Well, the reason you did is you're writing myths. They wanted eyewitnesses. They wanted people who were there at the time, not, not some stuff written in 200 and later that, that, that were just meaningless. Christianity doesn't even keep these traditions. They're there, though, for anybody to read all over the web. That's what the scholars use who write against Christianity. A Roman seal is a guard and a seal, a rope around the stone. And the Emperor Claudius, by the way, about 49 AD, um, gave rise to an edict which says, from now on, from now on, no one is to mess with burial sites because there was such a flap about where did this body go? If you're going to talk about the conspiracy theory about the resurrection, um, like that, that somehow somebody stole the body, then you just, just rationally, there's, there's, you don't have to be religious here, it's just rationally. Think about, was it the Romans? If the Romans stole the body, and, and the disciples are right there next door in Jerusalem in the same city claiming that Jesus rose from the dead, that'd be easy to squash. You just produce the body. 
Same with the Jews. And what about the disciples stealing the body? How in God's name could they steal a body past the Romans? How could they scare the Romans off? These, these were basically cowards, you know, shivering in a basement somewhere. That, that, that's exactly what the testimony says. Fifty days later, they were preaching um, uh, with all kinds of passion and, and conviction without any fear, but they were in bad shape when their leader had just been killed. I mean, that's negative apologetics where you refute theories against your belief in the resurrection, if that's what we're discussing. Uh, it's an historical fact from Christian sources, Jewish sources, and Roman sources that the tomb was empty. Like, no one disputes that. 99% of all the scholars, and which is a huge number, they all agree that the thing was empty. So they have to figure out, was it the, uh, one great theory is maybe it was the wrong tomb. Maybe it was the wrong tomb. Maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb. But the point is, if they're going to be preaching in the same city with the Romans who just killed Jesus, for Pete's sake, that he's risen from the dead, all they have to do is bring the bodies. Like, they, could, they would know the right tomb. You know, like it just, there's the evidence, even though it isn't conclusive, we are not capable of conclusive evidence about anything, quite frankly, that's important. But, I mean, we have a preponderance of evidence where we justify our beliefs. The evidence for the resurrection is almost the easiest thing there is. It's the basic fundamental Christian belief. It's the basic absurdity to everybody who's not a Christian. It makes no sense. And in fact, it's repulsive and absurd. Christianity preaches foolishness, Paul says. But it's, it's our truth. It, it makes no sense. It sounds foolish. But if you look at the arguments, why is the tomb empty? Did Jesus just faint and push the stone? You've got to be kidding. Two tons? That's what they are, because we still have them in Jerusalem. Could he convince his followers he's all bleeding and bloody? And by the way, covered in about 200 pounds of spices and wrapped up? Like, how, how could anyone do this? Could the women move the stone? None of these theories make any sense compared to the simple theory that maybe the man rose from the dead. Like, that's what Christians have always believed. That's what Paul was saying in 33 like three years later, that's what, that's what they were saying right from the start. There's no evidence that this was made up later. The evidence is, is it happened right then and there. 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul wrote, one of his letters to the Corinthians, contains a creed that he got from Peter in the year 33. Jesus rose from the dead. That's what, it, that's what they believed in 33. That's not enough time for a myth. These fishermen and, 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 and tax collectors if, if you can imagine, how could you invent a conspiracy that, let's make it up, before 33, they only had three years to make all this up, that Jesus rose from the dead. Why would you do that, knowing that everybody's going to call you a blasphemer and, and just, just put you all to death? How could you do it? Under torture, every one of those apostles except John was tortured to death and killed, like horrible deaths. Um, the conspiracy theory, which is the myth theory in another term, why is it that no one ever confessed the conspiracy? You all know that. If we are in a conspiracy that we're going to do something secret in this class and no one outside this class is ever going to know, we're, it's, uh, it's just us. It's going to be a conspiracy. Somebody's going to leak it, especially if when we walk out of this class we get tortured and persecuted and ridiculed for, our, for this belief. No one... There's not, there's not one word, not a whisper. There's no such thing as a gospel that was written with a naturalistic human Jesus. There's no evidence that there ever was such a thing, and then it was embellished as a myth. 
It was, it was the way it was right from the start, according to all the evidence that we look at. Now, you've not heard this in a religious studies class in the last 150 years, because everybody, almost to a man, I'm sorry to say, and a woman, almost everyone in the last 150 years has been so fascinated by, by we've got to get rid of the miracles, because we don't, people don't like them. It's not going to be accepted. We have to look like we're rational and we're intellectuals. So we're going to defend a Christianity that's based on reason and logic, and we're going to say, of course, yeah, it didn't happen, but it means a lot, doesn't it? It means that Jesus is in your heart, alive. It's just meaningless, that crap, when you think about it at the end. If, if somebody's in your heart, alive, that doesn't mean he rose from the dead. Like, they just give it away. That's, that's, that's the stuff I had to endure. That's what you're not enduring. But that's what you'll get in any, any other religious studies department, anywhere. They're still in, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to me how they could be so um, naive. But this culture has just pulverized Christianity into thinking that we have to be rational, and, and miracles aren't rational. It, it really boils down to that. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.